This is the Fearless Launching Show. I'm your host, Anne Samoylov. Today, we're going to be speaking to entrepreneur Monica Agondo, who has created two really amazing programs, but there's so much more than programs. We're going to listen to her story, that fateful moment she decided that she knew she was going to be an entrepreneur. And then we're going to talk about her beta launch of one of her programs and how that led to the next program. I think you're going to love this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. The Fearless Launching Show was created to answer the question, how can I launch my big idea to the world in the most simple, straightforward way possible and reach more of the right people? I'm your host, Ann Samoylov, and I've been helping six and seven-figure business owners launch for over a decade. And while I love geeking out about improving launches, new launch strategies, what's working, what's not working, I'm also obsessed with exploring the heart, the mind, the challenges of running your own business. And that's what we're going to do each and every week. I want to show you how to launch that course or coaching program or other creative work and navigate the journey of being an online entrepreneur. So if you're ready for some new perspectives, some new stories around launching, well, I can't wait to share those with you. Let's get into today's episode. Well, Monica, I'm so excited to chat with you. I mean, this is literally our first time chatting voice to voice. And, wow. and um, you know, when I saw you, I don't exactly what prompted me. I have these moments of intuition where I think that person, I want to talk to them. I want to kind of share whatever they're doing. And I, I, I want to know more. Like that's kind of just where I go with it. And um, out of like a quick little Instagram back and forth chat, um, I invited you to my podcast and vice versa. So I can't wait for that. Um, yeah. And so welcome, welcome to the Fearless Launching Show. <laughs> I am so excited to be here and I'm delighted. And of course, the, the name Fearless is like, you, you just got to put your big girl panties on when you're about to talk to Anne. <laughs> yeah, well, you need to put your big, when, whenever like you're going to launch, you just have to have them on no matter what. That's like right. once you press go, it's go, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So um, I am really excited to learn more about you. And I know today we're going to talk about um, your specifically one of your programs. And like you were just telling me about the whole process of bringing that to light and how you launch it every single year. Yeah. So I definitely want to get into that. But first, I'd love it if you would just share a little bit about who you are and really what your kind of your driving force is mm. in life. Okay. Driving force. Here we go. So in business I, life. <laughs> I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic and I came to this country when I was 10. I know you didn't expect my origin story to start so little, but here it goes. Uh, <laughs> it's an important part of the story because I want to know it. I love origin stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a an important part of the story because I was very used to being, uh, you know, I'm the oldest of three. And so I was very used to being like the head of the pack, as it were, until I came to this country. And then it was like invisibility central. Um, you didn't want to, I, I didn't want to speak up because I didn't know if I was going to say things wrong. I was just learning the language. I didn't want to mispronounce anything. I didn't want to be made fun of. I didn't want to be embarrassed. And there was a lot of bullying around being the new kid in school and so forth. And so it informed my penchant for being overprepared. 
I, I, I know somebody out there in Fearless Launching Land can relate. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Instead of being worried about these people making fun of me because I don't have a good command of the English language, how about I learn more languages and more languages? And so for the greater part of my academic life, I just started collecting languages and now I speak five of them. Um, uh, the first one is Spanish and then English, French, Portuguese, and Arabic. Wow. And then my first career out of college was as a financial planner and stockbroker. And I got to see what high net worth clients, what their relationship with money was like, right? They saw it as a tool. They didn't see it as a validation mechanism. And at least the ones that had a healthy relationship with it, right? Because some, some of us have a, a dysfunctional yes. relationship with money, no matter how many zeros it's got left, right? <laughs> so I started to see... When the market dipped around the beginning of the millennia, just because the market had a fluctuation didn't mean that my sales quota changed, right? I still had to um, engage and retain and um, up-level high net worth clients. And so what ended up happening was the thing that I did to attract and engage and retain those clients became a sales curriculum of sorts that then they wanted me to go around the country um, teaching other sales associates. And when my performance review came, I was on cloud nine. I'm like, for sure going to get a promotion, for sure going to get a raise, for sure going to get an extra bonus. And do you remember that movie Wolf of, uh, Wolf of Wall Street where he walks through like this big pit of a whole, whole bunch of people on the phones and stuff. Yeah. That was kind of like what my office was like. I was walking towards the conference room where they were doing the performance reviews and I had to walk through the pen. And a friend slash colleague of mine um, pulled me to the side and she was like, I don't know if you know this, but they're about to fire you. I was like, what? I mean, I was walking in there certain oh that I was gonna get kudos, right? And unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to my friend, the week before I had just gotten a stage four cervical cancer diagnosis. And I had been given by my oncologist about a year to live. And I, to this day, remember the gesture that he made with his hand, like, come see, come saw. I was like, ah, you know, about a year. He kind of like shook his hand. Oh my gosh. And I felt like that, that was, my life was hanging in the balance of, you know, his hand in that way. So when I walked into that performance review, my gait changed. Like I started walking like George Jefferson, like with an attitude on the chip on my shoulder. Like I'm over here trying to fight for my life and you're going to take my livelihood too? Oh, heck no. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for undergrad friends that went to law school. Because when I went into that meeting and they said that they were going to take... Uh, give me a very generous severance package. The reason they gave me was because they said, we didn't hire you to be a trainer. We hired you to be a salesperson. I was like, but as a trainer, all salespeople are making more money based because they went through my training. Like it didn't make any math sense to me. Mm -hmm. How do you not want all salespeople to make more money? So that's when I learned the power of leverage that even though I wasn't selling products and services directly to my direct clients, I was empowering the other salespeople to do it. And so our whole department and our whole region was thriving. And they said, we're going to give you a, a nice severance package and we're going to keep your intellectual property, which was what made me get like a little Scooby-Doo, like, hmm? what do you mean? And the my boss said, well, you know, when every, everybody that becomes employed here signs an intellectual property agreement saying that anything that you create under our employment becomes work product for us. And I remember 
can mm-hmm. that I did not sign that. I remember looking at that IPA thinking to myself, I don't even know what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow, let alone what I'm going to create while I'm employed here. So I didn't sign it, but I also didn't make a big deal of it. And so I just kind of went under the radar until, of course, it became relevant in this separation meeting. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, if you don't want me to be your employee anymore, but you still want my intellectual property that I have not granted you permission to have, you can buy it from me. Like we can shift it from being an employee to being a consultant. So at that point, they called in their lawyers and they were like, okay, we're going to draft this because they really wanted to keep it. It was really that badass, if I do say oh so myself. Oh my goodness. And I remember talking to my law school friend about it. And he said, make sure that you have a derivative, a copyright derivative clause in your agreement. I said, what the heck is that? And he said, you know how James Brown is one of the highest paid musicians, even though he hasn't been to concert in like whatever years. I was like, yeah. He goes, that's because everybody that samples him has to pay him for his source material. So copyright derivative means if they create any kind of derivative training from your source material, they have to pay you for that too. I was like, wow. sampling in IP. I didn't know that, right? I thought that was just a music thing. So I inserted the copyright derivative clause. I made that request from their lawyers and they were like, oh, this girl knows what she's talking about, right? Uh, And so that became my last employer became my first client. And that client relationship lasted upwards of 10 years. Because what would end up happening is that I would teach classes on sales trainings and so forth and sales coaching and and all this other stuff. And the sales associates would bring their clients and those clients had businesses. So they would come to me after class and say, do you only do this for these people or do you also do this on your own? Can I hire you to train my sales team and so forth? And so I became a business coach kind of like in the trenches in that way. Good to know that I am now cancer-free. That's been almost 20 years. I'm cancer-free, thank goodness. And and the business, what ended up being a firing squad became my first experience of advocating for myself in the business world and of setting up, asking for what I want and getting it. And and again, the over-preparing thing paid off because had I not walked in there knowing about copyright derivative, I could have been leaving a lot of money on the table. And so I, you know, started to get a lot of business coaching clients and I started doing a lot of keynoting and, and uh, facilitation, workshop facilitation, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward to 2008, that was the worst financial year of my life. And that was also the year that I got the Inc. 500 award for being one of the fastest growing companies in the in the United States. So I felt like such a fraud. I was like, if these people know how much money I lost, they would snatch this thing from under me so fast to be like, give me that. You don't deserve that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and so the the whatever dues I didn't pay because I like got into uh, entrepreneurship with like a six figure consulting check already. Um, I paid it then. I paid it back in 2008, like eight years after I had already started my business. And and I learned what it's like, like the poem says, to lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. That's a quote from the poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling. And it humbled me, but it also made me like really agile and flexible and understand like, what do I have now? What, what do I, I mean, it, even though it felt like I lost it all, like you didn't lose it all. You have experience now. You have a customer. Yeah. Now you have thought leadership, you have programs that you've built and sold and 
you're not starting from scratch. So a lot of times we tend to catastrophize the places where we are because it feels so dearth and so desolate and so, oh my God, this is the worst that could ever happen to me. But when you begin to look at it objectively, you're like, no, no, I have a leg up if for nothing else, because I have experience now. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Oh my goodness. I'm like, I'm like sitting out here speechless because, you know, one thing that, that stands out is that the second that your associate told you what was going to happen in that room, yeah. you like turned on the CEO and <laughs> inside it just like flip. Affectionately called okay. you. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you walked in there and it, it, it's just a sign that you definitely, you were already prepared for that shift and you were just waiting for the moment to happen when you were going to have to like, kind of go, okay, I'm unleashing it. So yeah. I just find that so fascinating. Um, so 2008, so like, and again, you know, getting that proven, I feel like maybe what you, you know, even though 2008, it sounds like was a difficult year, you proved to yourself again that you were the CEO, you had the, you have the assets, you're not starting with zero, you know, mm -hmm. and that that's amazing. So then what happened after that? Is that is that when you created what you are doing now what or what, what yeah. came out of that? Yeah. Yeah. So at the beginning, the first iteration of my company was called Ogando Associates. And it's a funny story about that because when they, when we signed all the consulting papers and everything else, and then <clears throat> I told them that they would be doing business with Ogando Associates at the time. Now, was there an Ogando Associates anywhere in the universe? No. And some oil love, absolutely not. So when I went to the accounting office and they said, who do we make the check out to? That's what I said. I said Ogando Associates because it was my last name and associates make it sound big, bad and professional. So I went home, went to the Secretary of State's website to incorporate my business, <laughs> <laughs> went to the IRS website to get an EIN number because you need those two things in order to be able to uh, get a bank account for your company. And then when I got all that paperwork together, then I went to the bank, opened a bank account so that I can go cash this check and put it somewhere. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I, when I changed the name of my company to CEO Mastery, it was very much a gesture of the maturation of the business brand, but also that it no longer had to be about me. That's why I didn't have Ogando in it anymore. It was about empowering. And even though I too had to access, to your point, the inner CEO, I always talk about unlock your inner CEO. Um, it wasn't It wasn't like the Monica journey. It was more like, how do I now become a way show or how do I now become uh, an assistance for people, for business owners who are trying to do the same? Because what I learned about myself in that journey is that, you know, you get all kinds of, resourceful and brave when doors close on you mm -hmm. and when you have no option but to win when you have no choices but to pull yourself up it's like okay well I mean I can sit here and whine and fall apart but that's not going to get me what I want that's not going to keep me alive to raise my daughter who's now 24 and in the navy uh, at the time she was three yeah. and so you know for me it was like I have to be here for her I cannot let myself fall apart. This cannot be a, a, an overdrawn, long pity party. Like you, you have three minutes, and now you gotta get your, you know, ish together and For go back and sign some papers. God damn it, you know. So I had to kind of like, kind of slap myself in the cheek in the bathroom and put some water in my face and come on, let's get it together. 
Um, of course, after all the paper had been signed and all the checks had been deposited and I saw that everything was going to be okay, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you, when you're in a horrible car accident and you decide and you realize that you've escaped unscathed, but then the adrenaline falls and you're like, Oh my God, I almost died. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. kind of like that. It was like, I cannot, but where did you get the shots but to tell this man? <laughs> yeah. So, then you realize what you did. And yes. like, that's the, I mean, it still can be very traumatic. And like you said, you know, obviously there are lots of different ways that people experience doors closing and then you don't have a choice. And I always say this about, like, I've always said this, you know, through the years about, about moms and myself, like, I don't have an option to get up or not. I don't have an option to like get her, you know, get my daughter like to school, all of this mm -hmm. stuff and to take care of her. I don't have, there is no option. And actually I, I actually, it might be weird, but I actually kind of prefer it that way because it keeps everything really super clear. There is no, Oh, not to say you should follow what you want to follow your passion, but follow your passion and get it together. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. You know, and exclusive. yeah. So Anyway, so I, I really love this. So did you just decide to, your initial kind of people that you were working with, were they mostly, were they, like, when did you shift from this, the sales training for people to something mm -hmm. else? Well, okay, so here's what ends up happening. Uh, and I'm sure you can tell me if this happens to you too. I'm sure it happens mm -hmm. to you. <laughs> that people come to you with a presenting problem. It might be, I need more leads, I need more sales, et cetera. But then mm -hmm. when you continue to dig and dig and dig, it's typically a worthiness conversation or a leadership problem. And that may mean I have to confront my trust issues of, uh, I need to do it all myself because I can't trust other people to have my back or to do it as well as I do, et cetera, et cetera. So they have a problem hiring or delegating or bringing other people into the, to the effort or leading people. Sometimes we're really good at pushing widgets, but not so much about uh, inspiring people. That's a different right. leadership skill. And so what ended up happening was it became, it started off as sales training, but the more that I started talking to these people that came to my, to my classes and stuff, the more I realized, Oh, this is, this is, you don't know how to communicate across generation lines or across gender lines or across culture lines. And, th and then it became about intersectionality and diversity and equity. It became about communication. It became about leadership. And so then the, the menu of business coaching scope of work that I would do with people then expanded from just sales to again, leadership about communication, about team building, et cetera, et cetera, all things that are required in order to br bridge the gap between who you are and mm -hmm. the business and the legacy that you leave behind because they don't necessarily have to be one and the same for some people that have you know their personal brand is their business um that may be true but it doesn't have to function that way you can still be the face of the business and not be the you know baker the caker and the candlestick maker <laughs> you know right you right build something that sustains you yeah i i definitely know what you mean about people like and and I myself have fallen to fallen into this path where I will hire, I will like go invest in things because the strategy that you do, the kind of that, 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 mm -hmm. when really the real thing that I need is something underneath that, which is a big shift that I just made yeah. recently joining, like and working with someone because mm -hmm. like, I know I can figure stuff out. So like, you don't, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's tons of strategies. There's done tons of way to do things and I can figure that out. And I actually already probably have all the things, 
but it's the deeper stuff. And what you're talking about, the worthiness, I think that that affects everything from in terms of the launch kind of whole launch process of just showing up, of connecting with the people that you actually want to serve. And then you think that you don't have to, uh, so many people just don't even take that opportunity to connect with those people because kind of part of themselves doesn't, they, they don't believe that they've yeah. got something, you know? Well, and, and to that point, it's, it's usually an old outdated map. What I mean mm-hmm. by that is that perhaps when we were little children, the way to get love and attention was to do all the things to, to be overprepared, to overachieve, perform, right? There's, there's this performative love thing that, that sometimes we train into our children and it carries on into adulthood. And it's like, look, if I have a thousand plates up in the air, then that means I'm worthy of love. The more plates, the more love I get. And eventually it's like the map doesn't match the terrain. You're over here walking around the streets of Chicago with a map of Miami and wondering why you keep bumping into walls. That map doesn't match the terrain. And so what used to get you love or attention or a praise or accolades when you were little, now it's a liability. So all we have to do is change the map because you're still the person walking the journey and you may or may not have a different destination, but the way to get there may have shifted and, and you just need to be agile in the way that you shift those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, so where does like, you know, I'm, I'm of course, like, even though I didn't have the same experiences that you've had, you know, there's definitely been times where I was just like, okay, what worked, what was working before, you know, when I was in a kind of a two person uh, situation, you know, raising my daughter and now I'm not. Yeah. And that's actually a good thing, but still what the heck do I do now? Um, I think that one of the things that really struck me about you is is teaching about this, um, not even just embracing the CEO kind of and developing that mindset, but really looking at how can we be more financially, not re- I guess responsible, literate, um, Stubborn. better decisions. Like how and and sometimes you know, and I know myself over the past two years that I've been dealing with this, I felt a lot of like. Am I doing the right thing? I know I should be doing better. What am I, you know, like, and it yeah, ha- feels like a constant thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it is the idea that, uh, that you can, right. A lot of times in, particularly in modern Western society, we have it like, we have it like you're supposed to do it all alone. There's the, this Western rugged individualism thing, which worked great when you had to leave family behind and go for, you know, go West young man kind of thing. But for 90% of human history, we've always thrived in community. And just because we had a little parentheses called make America, you know, uh, colonize the rest of the Americas or whatever. And, and in that sense, we needed to be individualistic. Doesn't mean, doesn't erase 90% of human history. We still thrive in community. Even in business, we thrive in community. That's why you see all these Mm pop-ups of masterminds and Facebook groups and all these other things. Right. And so when it comes to financial sovereignty, what I tell women is, uh, particularly women, because that that's who is attracted to the Women, Wealth, and Worthiness course that I or the program that I create and teach every spring. And when they come to this class, what they want is to not feel like they're missing something. What they want is, I know how to make money, but how do I keep it? And how do I make it work for me? Because it feels like I'm on the hamster wheel for money instead of money being on the hamster wheel for me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, 
it's a lot of like bringing that financial planner slash stockbroker um, background of mine into the business entrepreneurship domain. So for example, one of the things that people say to people that are in jobs is you want to have three to six months of bit of living expenses saved up and you want to invest in like your IRA and your 401k so that you can save up for retirement. Nobody says that to entrepreneurs, at least not in the public discourse. We think well, if you can just make money, then just make money. And but but that doesn't build a legacy for you. That doesn't build like what if one day you have a middle uh, a midlife crisis and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna take a year off and go to Tahiti and don't call me and I'm not gonna be on social media. Will your business <laughs> fall apart? <laughs> you're like, hey, don't call me. I love that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I might need to do that. <laughs> um, so you need to be able to build something that can sustain you in that way. Yeah. Just like when we first have children, you know, you know this with your daughter, my, my children were the same. It's like they need constant, relentless attention. Lord have mercy. You can't take your <laughs> eyes off of them. And then eventually they know how to wipe their own butts <laughs> and feed themselves <laughs> and take themselves to the school bus and write. Sometimes they take that to the next level and they forge signatures for a field trip, whatever. We're not talking about that right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and eventually they become self-governing and we want our businesses, which are also our children to do the same, to be able to be self-governed. And eventually, hopefully, like in my culture, when, when our parents get old, we take care of them. We, yeah. we have them live with us. We make sure that they are well fed and well taken care of, just like they did when we were babies. They made sure that we were well fed and well taken care of. So it's like that cycle of life. And in the same way in the business, you gave it so much attention at the beginning. You invested so much of your time, of your energy, of your effort, of your blood, sweat, and tears, humbling yourself, eating humble pie, asking for help, getting rejected, figuring it out. What is the brand? What's the best strategy? Blah, 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 and you did all of that so that this business could then grow up and take care of you. Or should, anyway. Yeah, uh, And right. so with Women, Wealth, and Worthiness, it's like, how do we then blend the financial literacy aspect of it with the money mindset aspect of it, right? Because sometimes we have some psychological blocks around money and worth, especially intersectionally. Because in a lot of financial literacy conversations, we hear, oh, well, you know, women had the right to, uh, to own property in 1839. Mm. You mean white women? Because black women were still property in 1839. They couldn't own property. Right. And so when we have that kind of conversation, then we understand that different women have a different relationship to worth and a different relationship to worthiness. And if you can understand that for the longest part of history, women were considered property, you were a line item in somebody else's wealth ledger. Then you understand instead of that being a disempowering conversation, you know, you have a leg up. If you were property, if you were wealth, you can have wealth. You, you had the beingness of it down. And so now exactly. that you know that you are wealth and you are your own key to wealth and legacy, now, how do we express that? Through the mechanism of your business, through the mechanism of your brand, through the mechanisms of your relationships. And now they're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. I know. It was a big aha to me too when I came up on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You're actually mentioning something that um, I, I've talked to people in different kind of areas. Like I, I'm bringing back up the idea of trauma and how there are parts of our life that can leave marks on us. And there is something where there's like this uh, generational kind of stuff mm -hmm. that seeps in. And yeah. even if we technically weren't, don't consider that we had like any, no, even as children, we are, we are, we grow up as a line item mm -hmm. 
in someone else's tax return or whatever, where they're dependent or whatever, like where they're, you know, so I'm just, um, I'm just thinking about that in terms of like, also just like the impact of generations of, of that kind of, you know, that shift from really feeling like, feeling like, and being property to then being the thing that the person who is owning their own wealth instead of being the wealth. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, in, in many ways, you are both the property and the property owner. You have gifts and talents that you can leverage to produce something for you. And, and the whole journey of wealth, women, wealth and worthiness is to go from being the object of somebody else's wealth to being the subject of your own wealth. And therefore, I love that. Self-directed. I love that so much. Okay, so let me just ask you, because you started to talk about this before we were recording Mm -hmm. about the Women, Wealth and Worthiness program or Uh and and I want to hear more about how this program developed. I know you talked about a beta, which I I literally I, I don't know if you know this. Last Friday, I literally did a clubhouse on beta launches. So it's perfect. I love betas. I love betas. So tell me more. I, yeah, w- before we started recording, I was like, you would be so proud of me, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love betas. <laughs> yes, because what ended up happening when I was coaching one-on-one or I was you know, doing other online courses and programs that I teach online, uh, the thing kept coming up. People knew that I had a background in financial planning, that I still to this day, I'm an active investor in the markets, et cetera. So they would ask me questions like that. They would be like, well, what do you think about trading on such and such? And what do you think about blah, blah, blah stock? And I'm like, well, it depends. I hate to use that as, a, as, a, as the answer, but it really does depend. And then we would get off on this tangent about financial goals and financial literacy and and tax liabilities. And you have different tax liabilities if you're an entrepreneur versus if you're a sole proprietor, if it's a C-class, S-class, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just put this all together in a class, in a program that people can just take and and do with it what they what they will, right? And so I asked around in my audience. My, I sent an email to my list. I put it out on social media. I was like, "Are you interested in something like that?" And I got so many people saying, "Yes, absolutely." But what I know is that it's very easy to say yes, absolutely on social media. It's another thing to commit to eight weeks of anything, right? Mm-hmm. So I made the beta paid. I was like, "Okay, you can get into this beta for this discounted price," and people were like, "Hand over fist." I was like, That's "What?" Awesome. Oh, this is great. But it also spoke to a great need because a lot of times we talk about money from the perspective of just flaunting it on Instagram and then making it in terms of launches and so forth. I'm I'm in the back. After they talk to you, Anne, and they have an amazing launch, then I want them to talk to their bookkeeper and their accountant and uh, optimize their affiliate fees and, and so that they can have more money to keep and to leverage than instead of having to get on the on the launch wheel again and having to do that. Not that there's anything wrong with launches. You know that I love launches. However, no, no, I'm... I am. I love lunches too, but I I know exactly what you mean. So yeah, they're a keep gateway going. drug to greater wealth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and I, and there's like tons of different ways you can do them. I love this. So what happened during the beta? Was that way? Did you already have the content developed for that, or did, was it just outlined? Or how did you? Well, so part of me was like, I'm not lifting a finger until you people pay for this. <laughs> I love it. And so I had a basic outline of what I wanted to talk about, but it was a little bit of mutual accountability because they, because they registered. Now I really had to put butts in seats and, and, and write something and put some slides together. <laughs> um, 
and then showing up every day and and doing that for eight weeks, right? And so the bonuses about getting one-on-one attention with me and so forth, all of those things made it even juicier. It made it an of course kind of investment, like of course I'm going to join this program. Um, And then what happened is that a lot of the women were raving about this program to their partners, their masculine partners, and they were like, well, where's, where's the one for the men? And I was like, well, I can't call it for the men. That's not specific enough. <laughs> so, so we called it Men, Money, and Mastery. Because what I found out in talking to my male clients and also um, these women's partners is that their conversation around money wasn't necessarily about worthiness. It was about freedom to do what they wanted to do. In other words, it wasn't about their own self-validation. It was about the power and the flexibility to exert their will in the world. So that's why I called it mastery. And um, so then the the last year that I did that, I launched both of them. And some people, of course, the women signed up for Women, Wealth, and Worthiness, and then the men signed up for Men, Money, and Mastery. Um, and some of them were partners. So they were like, okay, well, do I get a discount if both of us join? You know, that kind of thing. So we did that, special pricing. That's amazing. It was great because you're really changing generational conversations in that way, particularly if you're a partner with somebody who has a different money archetype than you or a different money profile than you. You may be a spender, they may be a saver, or they may have grown up in in abject poverty and you grew up rather privileged so you don't understand why it's a problem to pay for, you know, housekeeping to come in. And they're like, what? Why can't you do it yourself? You know? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They see you as subservient. It's because they they think it's wasteful. So when we can get to the psychology of those decisions, how we make money, how we spend money, how we keep money, then we can come to a place of harmony and sovereignty. And now we can build an empire. Now we can build legacy. Otherwise, we'll just be remedial until we until we transcend those lessons. I love that. So you went obviously if you people were raving about it you launched it again and have have you continued launching it what's going yes. on yes <laughs> uh, women wealth and worthiness the next live cohort happens spring of 2021 nice yeah, and it'll be jointly I, I used to do only women wealth and worthiness in the spring and then men and money and mastery in the summer but this year i'm doing them together because they kind of want to talk to each other about what they're experiencing and what they're learning and so forth so i want them to kind of like walk hand in hand on it so i'm looking forward to that this spring i think that that's actually amazing you know as you were as you were talking i'm like this could be one of our one of my issues the reason why um uh, my marriage wasn't really like there were a lot of uh, misunderstandings around kind of money and it wasn't just like the typical there's a money problem but like his background was eastern mm-hmm. i know well i'm going to just say russia mm-hmm. and and in a time where they i mean as a child i mean he's early 40s and he was standing in cheese lines and food lines and all of that in when he was a kid so he grew up around that and even though his family never suffered and they always you know they had their own business they were kind of entrepreneurs it was definitely a mindset and different from my family here who was very working class um and probably lower than that at times when my mom was no longer but you know what i mean like so there were just some major differences in Mm -hmm. In just that part alone. Yeah. And if we don't understand that 
some of one of the first exercises that I have people do in, in almost all of my courses, including my private one-on-one coaching, is is what I call the zero to seven exercise. If you can understand the things that happened in your from the time that mom got pregnant with you to the time to how she gave birth to you, to how she enjoyed your being pregnant with you, to you being a baby from zero all the way to seven years old. When you understand the the life affirming or life informing decisions and meaning making that you did when you were zero to seven, then you can understand the patterns that you're now living. And when you can be aware of patterns, you can transcend them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think that having these side by side is so cool. Um, how do people get on the wait list or find out more about the, the programs? You can go to either one. You can go to womenwealthandworthiness.com, all one word, and you can sign up for the waitlist there. If you're interested in menmoneyandmastery.com, you can sign up for the waitlist there. And uh, and we have some pre-exercises. Whether you sign up for the program or not, you, we have some pre-exercises that I think will be very educational and informative, and, and a lot of aha moments await if you join the waitlist. I love it. Monica, I feel like we could probably have another conversation specifically. I mean, there's, there's lots of different pockets here. Um, so let's, let's stay on after I stop recording. Cause I want to chat with you, but I love, I love this just like opening this conversation and looking at, um, I feel like there were so many things today, like sh- that the mindset shift to CEO, your George Jefferson walk, (laughs) and really like what to do when the door closes or the bottom kind of falls out of, you know, your life. But like, I I love, I love your story. And I, I'm so honored that you came on here today and shared that. Thank you. I'm honored that you asked me to be on and I'm delighted to keep talking after we push and recording (laughs) (laughs) and come back to another podcast. I'm I'm on your team. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again. And we're going to put all of your links. And if there's anything else you want to share with me that I can put in the links for the show notes, then we will do that too. And thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to hear or check out any of the links that we talked about or any of the things we talked about today, make sure to check out those show notes that are here in the app that you're listening to this podcast on. And make sure that you connect with Monica. Man, she will put the fire in you. So make sure you reach out to her and get to know her a little bit better as well. I've put her links below. And then as always, I'll see you next week for a really amazing conversation. I think you're going to love that one too. So let me know what you learned from today. Let me know what this inspired in you. All you have to do is DM me, direct message me over on Instagram or on Facebook. Follow me at Ann Samoylov. You can do that. I want to know what you thought of this episode so that I can also pass that on to Monica because she and I just had so much fun. And stay tuned. I'm also going to be on her podcast soon too, but I'll let you know about that. No problem. Don't even have to put it in your memory banks. Have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you soon.